Our reading today is an excerpt from Martin Luther King's speech, Our God is Marching On. We are on the move now, like an idea whose time has come. Not even the marching of mighty armies can halt us. We are moving to the land of freedom. Let us therefore continue our triumphant march to the realization of the American dream. Let us march on segregated housing until every ghetto and social and economic depression dissolves. And Negroes and whites live side by side in decent, safe, and sanitary housing. Let us march on segregated schools until every vestige of segregated and inferior education becomes a thing of the past. Let us march on poverty until no American parent has to skip a meal so that their children may eat. March on poverty until no starved man walks the streets of our cities and towns in search of jobs that do not exist. Let us march on poverty until wrinkled stomachs in Mississippi are filled and the idle industries of Appalachia are realized and revitalized and broken lives in sweltering ghettos are mended and remolded. Let us march on ballot boxes, march on ballot boxes until the race baiters disappear from the political arena. Let us march on ballot boxes until the salient misdeeds of bloodthirsty mobs will be transformed into calculated good deeds of orderly citizens. Let us march on ballot boxes until the Wallaces of our nation tremble away in silence. Let us march on ballot boxes until we send to our city councils, state legislatures, and the United States Congress, men who will not fear to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. Let us march on ballot boxes until brotherhood becomes more than a meaningless word in an opening prayer, but the order of the day in every legislative agenda. Let us march on ballot boxes until all over Alabama, God's children will be able to walk the earth in decency and honor. There's nothing wrong with marching in this sense. The Bible tells us that the mighty men of, Jer of Joshua merely walked around the walled city, Jericho, and the barriers of freedom came tumbling down. The battle is in our hands, and we can answer with creative nonviolence the call to higher ground to which the new directions of our struggle summon us. The road ahead is not altogether a smooth one. There are no broad highways that lead us easily and inevitably to quick solutions, but we must keep going. Thank you, Diana for sharing the words of Dr. King this Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. A speech that many of us haven't heard. And today, I want to talk about new dreams 
dreams that are in this country, dreams of America, dreams of the oppressed, dreams that bring our values to life, dreams that both connect us with Martin Luther King Jr. and push us forward into a new tomorrow. Because here we are again, another Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, a day of memory, a day of looking back, a day of celebration and mourning, a day of service, which often gets forgotten. Monday is supposed to be a day of service. And I find myself always wondering what new dreams are oppressed communities lifting up today. I say that intentionally. What often happens is Martin Luther King Jr. weekend is, uh, it becomes only a time to look back and remember dreams of days past. Some of us might even go as far uh, as to celebrate that moment, the life of Dr. King and the original Poor People's Campaign, celebrate, celebrate it as a completion of liberation work and not just a part of an ongoing process. We need to remember that we are not done yet. Now, don't get me wrong. Dr. King's dreams are relevant today. They have impact. His words have bite. His words still sing. And it's not just the words of his most famous speech. I have a dream that are not yet fulfilled in this country. It's the words of the speeches that people don't necessarily read on Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. And even his I have a dream speech, we only hear that one excerpt year after year after year. That's the only excerpt I ever heard in school. But his more radical speeches are the ones that are interesting. His calling out of moderate white people who don't see color. That criticism is still relevant. His radical edge that is often ignored in favor of pleasing soundbites has a lot to say about our country. Marching on ballot boxes. Making sure people are not just complacent moderates. King was a radical in so many of his words. And so, yes, his dreams are relevant today. And there are new dreams in this moment. There are some of the same old nightmares that have been with this country since its inception, but also moments of hope nonetheless. I ran across a poem from a uh, poet named Marcus Amaker. He's the poet laureate of Charleston, South Carolina, the first poet laureate of the city of Charleston, South Carolina. He's also, and this is, <laughs> this is fascinating, he's an opera librettist, um, in addition to being a recording artist and a passionate advocate for African-American representation in the arts. The poem is titled, The America I Know Could Use a Good Cry. And instead of just reading it to you right now, I, I want to break it down first. Because in that poem are words of new dreams being dreamed by communities of color and oppressed communities in our country today. I feel like the poem offers commentary, volumes of commentary, on what is before all of us right now, each and every one of us. And I also feel that it ties in with King's speech, Our God is Marching On, which you just heard a part of, where King tasks us with marching on the ballot boxes and circling the walls of oppression like the Israelites did at Jericho until the walls come tumbling down. But today, here in 2022, for Marcus Amaker, the dreams begin in a bar. Now I know in, in COVID times, that image is probably not as useful, right? But hear me out. Let's unpack this a little bit. From Marcus Amaker, the poem begins, I met America in a neighborhood bar. Simple enough. Turn on the news today or open the paper and you'd think America was the halls of Congress. 
You'd think America was Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. You'd think America was Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell. You'd think America was this senator, senator with an opinion and that representative who tells lies over truth or lines their pockets with lobbyist money. You'd think America was the Supreme Court. You'd think America was the justices you don't like or the justices whose faces appear on merchandise. But what if that impression is wrong? What if America is a neighborhood bar? Not necessarily where everyone knows your name, but where there ideally should be a stool or a booth available to everyone. A watering hole that's available to each and every one of us. Where friends and strangers and loved ones gather to do the work of building connections. Where we all gather week after week after week after week, every single moment. America is the everyday normal life we live. America is the people. And our emphasis on those at the top is a distortion of we the people. That perhaps it's always been we the people. And once we realize that, in the friendly confines of the everyday, we realize we have all the agency we need. Or we realize where we need to reclaim and fight for the agency taken from us. But wait, there's more. The poet continues. I met America at a neighborhood bar, and he offered me a shot of rum, and I reminded him that Captain Morgan was a slave owner. So the bartender awkwardly slipped another liquid lie down my throat. I ordered another drink and was channeled by dark spirits, the courage of black ghosts who haunt American dreams. Maybe it's not a shot of rum. Maybe it's the truthful legacy of the Founding Fathers when we were taught they were blameless heroes. Maybe it's the history of policing in this country, the injustices and inequalities perpetuated in communities far and wide, the legacy of redlining that's still present in places like my hometown of Chicago, the north side of Lexington, the deep south. Maybe it's seeing statues of people with names we recognize being put in cemeteries or stowed away indefinitely. Not a shot of rum, but a shot of truth. Something else we learn about that has a connection to injustice in our country. It feels like almost everywhere you look today, and it, it's not an invention, right? It's just an awakening. An honest telling of history. An owning of the fact that, yes, American prosperity is built on oppression. But the work before us is not to feel guilty. It's to take notice. It's to own it. It's to tell that history. But the poet goes on. I told him I loved him and I wanted him to sleep well. But I know I've been in your nightmares, I said. I want to be your friend, but only if it's a deep relationship. Only if you show me that you are not scared of your baggage. Bring your whole history to the table. We live in a nation divided. And it could crowd our nightmares, our dreams. We think it must be us versus them, Republican versus Democrat, gay versus straight, black versus white, when at the end of the day, the communities crying out for justice do not want to destroy the oppressors, at least in the spirit of the Poor People's Campaign. They simply want to be free. They or we or someone does not want to destroy America. They just want to be honest about what America is. 
And it's a call to remember that our relationship with America shouldn't just be platitudes. Middle school history textbooks are waving a flag and sparklers on the fourth, but a deeper history that all of us become intimately connected to. What does a deeper relationship with America look like to you? It isn't one rooted in guilt, I would think. That's surface level. It isn't rooted in playing all of the right patriotic notes. That's surface level too. I would think a deeper relationship is when our patriotism does not shy away from critique, grief, and the courage to see change unfold. That kind of relationship is rooted in love. Is it possible to love America in such a way today? I have no idea. Only you can answer that. Does America even want to be loved? But the poet has more to say here. America cracked open another beer as a tear ran down his face. He said, I was born in a house not my own, and my fathers demanded that their portraits hang on every wall. White paint covers each brown brick, and our backyard is a museum of unmarked graves. Despite this, a garden grows, I said, and every home can be torn down and rebuilt again. Do you ever feel helpless in the face of everything (laughs) that we are facing as a country? Let alone the world, but as a country. I know I do. Do you sit when you've read the hundredth book on racism or inequality or oppression and just wonder, what on earth can I do? Or when you're at the latest meeting about injustice, this injustice, or that injustice, or you've read this news article, or that editorial, or seen that documentary, and been to that workshop or conference. It's hard to know where to start. And there's a reason why many issues of injustice are called wicked problems. They have no easy answer. But they also have no wrong way to begin so long as it is done with care and concern for the problem and the people that are involved. Coming to the table, even if you are tripping and falling and stumbling, is where we all begin. But there's still that bewilderment and grief. Still wondering why we have to tear something down. Change is never easy, but we forget that everything can be rebuilt. New dreams can come and clear away the old ruins and make them come alive. New things emerge, and not everything is worth keeping or enshrining. And Marcus Amaker continues. But I've been told I shouldn't completely let you in, he said. Some people in my family stand in the doorway blocking the entrance. Does that sound familiar to you? What stories did you grow up with? What community stories did you take stock in or still take stock in? Did you grow up in a world where those people lived over there and those people lived there in your neighborhood where one of those people shouldn't come into that neighborhood? Were you one of those people who lived in that place? How have you not been a force of welcome and generosity in your day-to-day? And I don't mean welcome those who would harm you or continue your oppression, but I mean those who are looking for refuge, for shelter, the tired, the poor, the huddled masses. When the dream of America is barely skin deep, we can easily ignore those words. But, 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 some might say, right? This will cost money, this welcome. 
this making of human livelihood thrive. Making human livelihood is a budget item instead of an obligation of love and support. We have lost all virtue. Are we blocking the doorways? Have we told the same stories about not welcoming people? Have we been a part of them? They're interesting questions to ask ourselves for new dreams in America today. But Marcus Amaker concludes, He left, speaking of America, before I could tell him that my people have a history of finding ways inside broken spaces and making them whole again. Sometimes a crumbling fortress wall that's been enshrined, right? We're trying to preserve something at all costs. will crumble anyway. If the foundation is rotten, there's nothing you can do, and that's okay. A crumbling wall means that there are cracks that people can wiggle their way into, and the hopes and dreams of America are not shut out from America herself. They will find a way in. It might mean having to live and endure through uh, witnessing the walls crumble down, right? The fall of Jericho's walls. But it's interesting to use that same metaphor that Dr. King did. After Jericho fell to the Israelites, it became a bustling city. A one where miracles happened there according to legend and great wonders emerged in the stories told after that, that moment, that story, right? And forget the fact, right, that when the Israelites did arrive at Jericho, the city had long been conquered. (laughs) There were no walls to come tumbling down. That city was conquered. But the imagery is still powerful. Have hope. Circle the walls that shut you out. They will eventually crumble. Sound the horn of victory before you've won because love will win today. That is what the story meant to generations since. And so here's the whole poem together. I met America at a neighborhood bar. He offered me a shot of rum, and I reminded him that Captain Morgan was a slave owner. So the bartender awkwardly slipped another liquid lie down my throat. I ordered another drink and was channeled by dark spirits, the courage of black ghosts who haunt American dreams. I told him I loved him and wanted him to sleep well. But I know I've been in your nightmares, I said. I want to be your friend, but only if it's a deep relationship, only if you show me that you are not scared of your baggage. Bring your whole history to the table. America cracked open another beer as tears ran down his face, and he said, I was born in a house not my own, and my fathers demanded that their portraits hang on every wall. White paint covers each brown brick in our backyard as a museum of unmarked graves. Despite this, your garden grows, I said. And every home can be torn down and rebuilt again. But I've been told I shouldn't completely let you in, he said. Some people in my family stand in the doorway, blocking the entrance. He left before I could tell him that my people have a history of finding ways inside broken, t- broken spaces and making them whole again. Take the words of Dr. King about marching on the ballot boxes and circling the walls of oppression, like in the book of Joshua. Take his words about hunger, jobs, voting rights, courage, justice, not just in the Deep South, but in Appalachia, in the Midwest, in the West, and beyond. Take all of those dreams and hopes and put them together with Marcus Amaker's poem, the call for deep relationship, the call for love, and the reminder that a garden still grows. And justice will always creep in through the cracks of oppression. 
I don't know about you, but putting those two together, I can see the walls of Jericho tumbling down with those hopes and dreams. I can see that one day, even though this time does feel bleak in many ways, and increasingly so with the threats to voting rights and the existential threats worldwide, I can still see that hope may yet have a chance. Between King and Marcus Amaker, we see two stories, two sets of dreams, from black men both then and now that do not shut people out, even the most hateful among us. Instead, both dreams hold on to a belief that hate can always be conquered with love. That there isn't a wall high enough to keep people out who commit themselves to living values of equity and justice. That there's always a way in, always a way to change the system, to bring it down and to rebuild. Always a way to grapple with our history and not wallow in it, but push our country, our communities forward. Always, so long as we're showing up. Whether in our day-to-day lives or on the streets marching, so long as we are in it, right in it, as uncomfortable as it might be, love will win the day. We might not live to see it, but nonetheless, that is the hope. That is the fuel. That is what inspired the nonviolent resistance of Dr. King's Poor People's Campaign. It's what inspires the Poor People's Campaign of today. It's what inspires protests in our streets for black lives. It's what moved a Swedish teenager to sail across the Atlantic for climate change. It's what inspires you to call your representatives and to keep calling. It's what moves people to try and to keep trying. I'm often asked, what on earth can I do? My reply is never satisfying. There's no easy answer. Sorry, there just isn't. But there are so many opportunities. Some of us have lived lives of being on the front lines of injustice already. Great. If you have wisdom to share, don't forget that. You do. How else do we learn from the successes and mistakes of those who've come before us? There are advocacy organizations, representatives, and senators to call. Some will say, what use is it to call them? My reply is, what do you have to lose? There's truth to speak to our families and friends, and maybe that is the hardest one of them all. We don't want to upset our family or friends. However we continue to dream new dreams for this country and our communities, whether sharing wisdom, gaining wisdom, or out there in the world, the people like Dr. King who've changed our world had the same doubts and fears as you. I think that's important to remember. Our heroes are human. They are flawed. Dr. King's failures are out there for everyone to see. His faults, his imperfections, his worries, fears, and blunders, all of them. Every single human being has them. And yet those who change the world persist. Their faults do not hold them back. And so maybe this is an invitation to change the world. (laughs) Or maybe it's just an invitation to share the truth at a neighborhood bar. Or to march on the ballot boxes. To keep marching, to keep witnessing, to keep persisting. However you persist. The times before us are full of new dreams. And this weekend, this day... This moment, we look back to Dr. King to honor his dreams, the dreams of all who were in the struggle then, to embrace the ways in which their vision and hope are yet to be realized, and to also meet the demands of today. The poet Marge Piercy once wrote, the work of the world is common as mud, so let's get our hands intentionally dirty. Let's persist, always. Blessed be. Amen.